Hello, Duke fans, and welcome to episode 430 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. It is Friday, June 24th, 2022. Hey, happy summer. We have officially reached summer, even though uh, it feels like it's been warming up for a while. I am your host for this episode. I'm Sam Klein. I am coming to you from Boston. I am joined only today, unfortunately, only by Jason Evans. Not that we don't like having him, but we're sad that Donald Wine is not here. Jason, good morning, sir. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. Uh, my, my life has been kind of chaotic for the past few days. My wife and I are doing a major renovation. And so uh, our house has been absolute chaos. And we're sort of both living out of our regular home and also uh, living at my mother's house during some of the renovations. It is just just bonkers around my life. And by the way, this week, my wife and I celebrate our anniversary. Sam, can you guess how many years I have been married? Let's see. I know that you graduated from college in 1989. You're good. And, yep. and your oldest kids are like in, I think your oldest son is like 23-ish. So uh, 24, 25, maybe? 25. 25. Yeah. So we're, I've got a pretty tight range here. Let's say that it's your 30th wedding anniversary. Close. 31. 31. And the funny thing is on Facebook, I posted that it was our 32nd. I had got the years confused. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're, we're still all, all living under the collective delusion that the 80s was approximately 20-ish years ago. And uh, I was, I was <laughs> born in 1989, <laughs> and I am now 33. So it turns out that, that time marches forward one year at a time. Uh, sorry that, that life has been chaotic, but hopefully, hopefully the renovation It's been well. fun. It's been fun. We're uh, it's it's enjoyable so far. <laughs> hey, so speaking so speaking of remodeling, a bunch of NBA teams did some remodeling last night. Nice segue because the NBA draft was going on. And Jason, I feel like I feel like we've made this almost a recurring thing that we have to talk about how your Atlanta Hawks have picked up another Duke player. I know. I'm so excited about it. It's, it's great. Yeah, it's happening. Very, so great. so it was a it was a record night for the Duke Blue Devils. Five guys drafted in the NBA draft last night for Duke, four of them in the first round, of course, one in the second. Now we told you that Donald wasn't here today. He couldn't make it, unfortunately, but he was available last night to record a few thoughts for us. So I am going to let Donald run down the positions that the Duke guys were drafted in last night, and he'll give you his quick thoughts. And then we'll come back and Jason and I will, will react as well. So Donald, from the past last night. Take it away, sir. Hey, Sam. Hey, Jason. And hey, everybody out there. I My apologies for this being a recorded portion of the podcast, but uh, I, as these guys are recording, will be on a plane to Denver, Colorado for the women's national team game uh, that's there this weekend. So, uh, But I did want to offer my uh, quick thoughts on the Duke players that were selected in the NBA draft. I, keep in mind, I'm recording this as the NBA draft is concluding. We are right now at pick 49. So if anything happens between 49 and 60, it will not be reflected in these thoughts here. But I did want to start with, I think, this. Uh, I won't say a surprise tonight, but really just a, a pleasant surprise of Paulo Bancaro going number one to the Orlando Magic. We had heard in the last few weeks that Paulo was probably slated at going number three to the Houston Rockets. So it was kind of a mild surprise that he ended up with the number one pick, but I really liked that pick. I, I think we all agree that he was the best player in this draft, and I'm glad that he is representing as the number one pick. I believe only the fourth number one pick 
uh, by, uh, I believe, only the fourth Duke number one pick uh, under Coach K. Uh, we follow that up with Mark Williams going. He slips just out of the lottery, but he goes to the Charlotte Hornets at 15, stays close to Duke. Uh, and I, th- I like this one, too, because LaMelo Ball is going to be throwing a ton of alley-oops his direction uh, next year. So uh, Mark Williams, I love that pick for him going to the Charlotte Hornets at 15. Followed right up closely by AJ Griffin, number 16, going to the Hawks. I know Jason is excited for that pick. I'm excited for that pick. There's a lot of wings that are on the Atlanta Hawks, but I feel like that situation is going to resolve itself this summer in the fact that I think some of those guys may be else going elsewhere, leaving some time for AJ Griffin to just really work off of Trey Young at times and just be open to shoot the three. And we know how well he can shoot the three. I think that is going to be a good place for him. Wendell Moore is probably the one that's going to be the most traveled because his pick, uh, he was drafted number 26 by the Dallas Mavericks, who had already traded that pick to Houston for Christian Wood about a week and a half ago. Now he is on his way to Minnesota. Houston trading that pick to the Timberwolves. Uh, I'm not sure how this pick works for the Timberwolves from a personnel perspective, but for Wendell Moore, he can walk in and be a guy who he can do what he does. He's a Swiss army knife. He can do anything. He can be the glue guy. He can fill in the gaps. And of course, as we've discussed plenty of times on this podcast, he's super young and can be a part of that core with cat and as well as Anthony Edwards. And then finally, we had to wait a little while uh, to get to Trevor Keels, but Trevor Keels was drafted number 42 by the New York Knicks. I, uh, it was the only pick that the Knicks have to this point. Again, we're now at pick 50, uh, but Trevor Keels going to New York. He's a bull. He's a bruiser. He's a guy who can get out in transition and New York Knicks love to go in transition. I love the fact that he's going to be learning from RJ Barrett. And if he can work on his shot to become a, a 30 to 35% three point shooter, he's going to have a lot of options. And especially with that young core in New York, they're poised to try and do some great things, even though their draft was very, very light. Trevor Keels seems to be the guy that they are hoping will be the, the person they take from this draft and develop into their next star. So uh, I'm really excited about all five guys being drafted. They led all schools in the number of guys being drafted four in the first round ties a program record. And I, I'm just really excited for all of them. This next step, we've talked about it. We've talked about it for months and, and this next step for them is here. I'm really excited for all of them and really wish them best luck. I'm looking forward to watching them next year. So those were Donald's thoughts. We are going to, after the break, bring his audio back because we have his real thoughts on the drafts from last night, which is his appraisals of all of the various outfits. But Jason, uh, so as Donald mentioned, five guys. Of course, the, the big news was Paulo Bancaro at number one. I think the, the scuttlebutt about him going number one only really picked up in the last couple of days in the weeks leading up to this when we talked to Jay Billis about this, when we were preparing for the draft and talking about, oh, where are certain guys going to go? We were all pretty convinced that Paulo was going third overall because Chet Holmgren and Jabari Smith were definitely going ahead of him. And it turns out the Orlando Magic wanted him at number one, maybe speaking to our belief that he's in, in good position to be the the biggest impact player right away for an NBA team. But what did you think of Paulo's number one selection? So first of all, before we get into his fit on the Orlando magic and that stuff, I think it's really interesting that, that this kind of sort of leaked out early, apparently. So the uh, over in Vegas, they allow you to gamble, to bet, to wager 
on who will be the number one pick in the NBA draft. And to me, it's a very strange thing that Vegas allows this to happen because everything else that I'm aware of that Vegas does, you know, a, a, a decent amount of gambling on wagering on is an uncertainty. It's a, it's a chance. I can think I know who's going to win a game, but I don't know it for a certainty. And the NBA draft is different than that because there are certain people, certainly the general manager, for example, of the Orlando Magic, probably several other people who are close to him in the front office who know for a certainty who Orlando is going to pick. And yet Vegas allows people to make wagers. So these wagers have been going on for several weeks and and people put money on any one of the, you know, the three guys, Chet Holmgren, Paulo Bancaro, and Jabari Smith. And Jabari Smith was the guy who most people were wagering on, most people were betting on. That's what the, the shortest odds were. And then in like the 24 to 36 hours or so before the draft, suddenly there was a surge of money bet on Paulo Bancaro. And by the time Vegas closed down wagering, they, they shut it down. Um, on the day of the draft, I believe. By the time they closed it down, Paulo was the favorite, the guy who was most likely to be taken number one. That's not because any experts out there were saying they expected Paulo to go number one. I absolutely think it's because there was some kind of leak, there was something going on, and the people who knew for a fact that he was going to be number one were making a bunch of bets, either themselves or people they knew, who knows what it was. Uh, but it's, it's crazy that no one said Paulo was going number one until suddenly this slew of wagers came in and, and he was vaulted to number one by Vegas and then he actually got picked number one by Orlando. Jason, are you saying that there were shenanigans in Las Vegas? Uh, yeah, yeah. I, look, uh, again, I think Vegas is stupid to take this bet at all. I don't know why they do it because there are folks who know the answer. <laughs> if you this this is the equivalent to someone getting in uh marty mcfly's time machine <laughs> and, and, and and putting all their money into apple stock in the in the 1980s right exactly or 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 as happens in back to the future having being able to to make wagers based on knowing the results knowing the outcome of games in any event let's get to let's get to apollo actually being picked uh yeah and and the jason the the amazing thing about this is you were sort of describing in the lead up to it is that even when we were talking about this, none of us said that Paulo was likely to get picked number one. We basically dismissed it out of hand and we were sort of wondering, is there a chance that he goes number two? No, he's like definitely slotted in at number three. And the conversation that we had a couple of weeks ago with Jay Billis and then amongst the three of us was that Paulo has that, has the ability potentially to be big impact player right from the start. And it's not like the Orlando magic have the kind of offensive firepower that would, you know, prevent Paulo from getting as many shots, if not more than he did at Duke this past season. Yeah. And I think that Orlando ended up deciding on Paulo because they needed someone who could create offense on, on his own. There are some of the other teams at the top here, specifically like Houston, uh, who, who everyone thought Paulo was going to at number three, where Jalen green is already a guy who can create offense on his own and, and create opportunities for other players. Orlando doesn't really have anybody like that on, on the roster at the moment. They've got some decent pieces. They've got some guys that you can see being a part of a good NBA team at some point in their career, but they don't have anybody where they go, hey, put the ball in his hands. He's going to go get a bucket or he's going to get a good opportunity for someone else. 
And Paulo is that. So he makes a lot of sense for Orlando. The place he doesn't make sense is, I think it's a weird fit next to Wendell Carter, former Dukey. You know, we got a pair of Dukies here in, uh, uh, you know, in the front court for Orlando now because Wendell is the starting center and Paulo is going to be slotted in as the starting power forward. The, the sort of the, the weakest part of Paulo's game is rim protection. And frankly, with Wendell Carter, the weakest part of his game is also rim protection. And if you're Orlando and, and having a guy who can block shots is just really important in the modern NBA. It's just, it's huge. And I was a little surprised that Orlando didn't take someone who had better rim protection as, as part of their profile. Paulo is not a super explosive jumper who's really long and blocks shots. And frankly, Jabari Smith and certainly Chet Holmgren, you know, fit that mode, fit that role better than Paulo does. But like I said, I think he's a great fit in terms of he's going to have the ball in his hands. He is going to be able to, he's going to be asked to do a lot offensively for this Orlando team. I think he's going to put up somewhat eye-popping stats for them. It is not a reach to expect that Paulo is likely to be the NBA rookie of the year, or at least the front runner for it, because I think he's going to, I won't be at all surprised if he leads all NBA rookies in scoring. He's just going to have that many opportunities in Orlando. And I'm, I'm really excited for him. And I think it's, uh, like I say, there, there are aspects of it that I think are really great fit. There are aspects that I wonder about a little bit. But in terms of opportunity, Paulo is going to get every opportunity to be a star for the Orlando Magic. And we know that both free agency and trades are to come in the NBA. So it's not like, you know, today, Paulo and, and Wendell Carter are paired together. Who knows if in four months that is still going to be the case. Uh, you know, we, we, we root for both of those guys to succeed. I've, I've sort of told you before on this show that I, my like childhood Wizards fandom has, has kind of melted away a little bit. And so now I'm just rooting for all the Duke guys to, uh, to have successful careers. So hopefully they figure out how to either deploy them together in a way that, that, you know, takes advantage of their strengths, or if they're going to move Wendell Carter, hopefully he ends up somewhere that, um, that he's not as redundant as he might be with Paulo. And by the way, it's worth noting, even though it was a surprise, Paulo being the number one pick now extends Duke's record. Duke now has had five players drafted with the number one draft pick. And, and that is a record. The next best school is Kentucky that has, that has three players. And Paulo joins Art Heyman, in 1963, Elton Brand in 1999, Kyrie Irving in 2011, and Zion Williamson in 2019 as Duke Blue Devils to be drafted number one overall, first draft pick. And again, Duke has five, Kentucky has three. Um, you know, it, it, it is truly impressive. It, it is yet another sign of how Duke is the number one program in all of college basketball. The fact that we've had another guy drafted with the number one pick in the NBA draft. And I know that Jason, you mentioned the uh, that Art Heyman was number five. Donald, I think earlier had mentioned that there were four Duke number one draft picks, but he qualified that that was in the Coach K era. So right, Paulo right, exactly. Bencaro, Paulo Bencaro also makes the last of Coach K's four uh, number one overall NBA draft picks. Pretty Although good, pretty speaking good final of, record for him. Speaking of coaches, it's worth noting. Uh, I'm sure you saw in the in the audience last night, along with all five of the Dukies who got drafted. John Shire was there you know, palling around with his guys and, uh, uh, you know, representing the Duke program nicely. 
well, we we only expect that sort of thing from him now that he's now that he's got the the top job and he has to keep himself visible. All right, let's move down to uh, a, a few more interesting picks. The next one, I, I think, when we previewed this, we said we were fairly sure that AJ Griffin was going to be the second Duke guy off the board, and he actually fell a few spots out of the lottery, as did Mark Williams. So we're going to have to talk about Mark Williams first because Mark Williams, drafted at number fifteen to the Charlotte Hornets, was the second draft pick uh, coming out of Duke. When we had predicted this on the show, I think we had all said that we he was hopefully going to, to get in right in the lottery. So Mark Williams and AJ Griffin just out. But Jason, what do you think about the fit for Mark Williams, not having to go very far from Duke or from his hometown in Virginia to get to Charlotte? There are a lot of people who had pegged Mark Williams to go to Charlotte, either with the number 13 or the number 15. And at first, you know, Charlotte took Jalen Duran at number 13, uh, who, along with Mark Williams, they were sort of vying to be, um, you know, that that late lottery center, that late lottery rim protector who was going to be drafted. And when Jalen Duran went number 13, I was like, oh, wow, there's a scenario here where Mark Williams suddenly becomes the guy who falls quite a bit. Uh, you know, so I was more than mildly shocked when Charlotte went ahead and drafted Mark Williams. They, they, they took Jalen Duran at 13. They took Mark Williams at 15. I was like, what is going on? Are they just going to have these two guys battle Royale to see which one of them is the better rim protector, the better center for them. Um, but then it was revealed that they had traded that number 13 pick. They traded Jalen Duran. We can, we can argue about whether that was a smart, t- the, the trade there was very weird and we could have a long discussion about Michael Jordan's management of that Charlotte franchise, but getting Mark Williams was the right move for Charlotte. I think he fits in really nicely. Uh, he's he's going to be battling a fellow Dukey. Mason Plumley is the starting center for the Charlotte Hornets. I don't know that Mark goes into the starting job right away, but I think he's going to get a lot of opportunities because that team needs rim protection. And I got to say, what a fabulous fit for Mark next to LaMelo Ball. The way Charlotte runs their offense is LaMelo Ball has the ball. He's the point guard, has the ball in his hands, and he is, you know, he, he wants pick and roll partners. Having Mark Williams, you know, as good a rim runner, as good a pick and roll, you know, toss up a lob to him kind of guy as you'll find because he, he can really jump and he is super, super long. Having Mark Williams running pick and roll with LaMelo Ball both those guys have got to be incredibly excited about that. I can't imagine a scenario where Mark Williams isn't picking up two, three, four easy baskets a game and where LaMelo Ball isn't picking up two, three, four easy assists per game off of pick and roll lobs and stuff like that from LaMelo to Mark Williams. It's just such a great fit for him. Uh, there's, there's literally no other team in the draft that I looked at and I went, well, that is a spot where Mark Williams is going to get easy buckets more often than he's going to get them in Chicago. I, I just, I, I love it for him for that reason. And uh, like I said, I don't know that he's going to be the starter from day one, but I think Mark Williams, look, we said when we were, you know, doing our over under and we were, you know, responding to what Jay had to say, we didn't expect Mark Williams to go in the top 10. He didn't, he went 15, but I said, I firmly believe that he's going to end up as one of the 10 best players in this draft. And then in a couple of years, if you do a redraft, you'd go, how did Mark Williams slip? I think Charlotte made a great pick. And I, I, I think he's a, he's just ideal there. Yeah. The, the pairing with LaMelo ball is really exciting opportunity 
for Mark Williams, right? He's not creating a ton of his own offense. He needs to, he needs to have guys uh, create a little bit for him, but he can get in positions to, to really make a huge impact on offense, even in a limited role, if he's not in the starting lineup. And on defense, we talked about how he, he's probably able to, to step in basically immediately and be a key contributor on defense with his ability to protect the rim. Uh, we know that he has, he has some development left in terms of being able to, to step out to the perimeter on defense and, and stay in front of guys, but he, he cleans up so many mistakes on defense just by being such a big presence down low that, you know, similar to Paulo, there are NBA ready skills here that, that uh, should serve Mark Williams well on the Hornets. The, the competition with Mason Plumley is interesting. Uh, we've now t- had this exact conversation with, with two different uh, pairs of, of Duke guys in, in this draft. So um, again, plenty of time for, uh, for teams to work out more trades and, and, and rejigger the roster. So, you know, call me again in, in five months or four months when, when all the rosters are set and everybody's heading to training camp and, and into the regular season. Don't be surprised if, if there are more moves on the way here as well. And it's worth noting, um, Charlotte also has PJ Washington, who they play as a small ball center at times. It's not just Mason that, that Mark is, is battling with there, but um, I, I just think, you know, you, anytime a guy gets drafted, you look at the roster and you want to go, okay, well, how does he fit? And I think Mark for, for a mid first round pick, you know, fit number 15, that's right in the middle of the first round. That's right on the cusp of where guys are like, Oh, that guy's going to start versus that guy's going to be a backup. I just see a role for Mark as a starter or, you know, starting doesn't matter as much as minutes. I, I, I see minutes for Mark uh, almost immediately because they need his rim protection because they don't really have a overwhelming presence in the middle on that team. And uh, I think Mark fits really, really nicely. All right, Jason, should we talk about the pick that uh, I think was most surprising in terms of, you know, draft spot relative to our expectations, but most exciting for you because AJ Griffin, who uh, was looking good last night at the draft, falls uh, to all the way to 16. Unfortunate for him, but he is going to the Atlanta Hawks and is going to be playing with Trey Young. So there will be a lot of three-pointers made, I feel like, in Atlanta this coming season. What do you think about AJ Griffin's uh, move to the Hawks? I, I like it for the Hawks. Uh, I like it for AJ as well. Anytime... You have a, a player who slips in the draft, a guy who slips more than, you know, four, five, six spots beyond where most people expected him to go. And, and, and most of the projections were that AJ was going to go somewhere. There were some folks who said he could go as high as number six, maybe number five. But like, I think most of had him pegged in like the six to 10 kind of range. And so he slipped at least six spots to get to Atlanta at number 16. If you're a NBA team and you find that guy who's, who's slipping and there's not some crazy reason for it. And, and I'm not aware of any, you know, unknown or injury related reason that AJ would have slipped. I think it's just, you know, uh, a, a lot of teams probably had him second and then the guy they wanted first was there. And it, it's just, I mean, if you want to talk, if you want to talk about injuries, we know that he has an injury history. So it's possible that, that some of these teams are looking at injury history and just thinking, you know what? Yeah. If we're, if we're between two guys, might as well go with the guy who hasn't had, you know, gruesome uh, knee surgery or, or knee injuries uh, over the last year. And, and that might be all it is. And some guys recover from that kind of reputation. Steph Curry, when he was coming into the league and then 
in his first couple of years in the league was considered, you know, uh, a little too fragile and a bit of an injury risk going exactly. forward. So maybe he had an elite skill, but, but it wouldn't work out. And I'm sorry. I think he just won his fourth NBA championship. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And, 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 you know, I'm not going to get into why AJ slipped, but from the standpoint of an Atlanta Hawks fan thrilled that we picked up the guy who had slipped. I was panicked that the Hawks, the Hawks probably didn't do a lot of evaluating of AJ Griffin because they probably didn't expect him to be there when they were picking at number 16. So I was a little worried that they might get too cute and take someone else instead. I am thrilled that they did the smart thing and said, this guy has somehow fallen to us. We didn't have a top 10 pick, but we've gotten a top 10 talent. And so I'm, I'm thrilled from an Atlanta standpoint in terms of, you know, where AJ fits on this roster, the Hawks are loaded with wings and wings who can shoot. Um, they've got Kevin Herter. They've got Bogdan Bogdanovich and, and both those guys play a lot. Uh, but I think there's going to be room for AJ. He, he's such a knockdown shooter and Trey young has so much gravity. You know, the defense must find Trey at all times, or he's going to bury you. And, and the thing that people don't think about with Trey young, because he's such a, such a dynamic scorer is that he's also one of the leading assist guys in the league. I mean, he is, he is someone, the, when the ball's in his hands, he's a threat to put up 30, but he's also a threat to get 10 plus assists. And I think that he is going to be, I think that AJ Griffin is going to find himself open on the wing a lot due to Trey Young's, you know, uh, phenomenal gravity and that Trey will find him in those spots. I, I the, the Hawks are deep enough on the wing that I don't think AJ is going to be called on to make like uh, to play immediate big minutes, but he's going to get opportunities. I believe this is a team that, that wants to develop its young talent. Uh, even though it's a team that has aspirations on, on winning championships. And then the other thing is you just don't know how this roster is going to shake out. I mean, Sam, you've mentioned, Oh, teams, you know, free agency is about to start and teams make deals and stuff like that. The Hawks are a team that absolutely appears to be uh, on the, they've been involved in a, a lot of, you know, trade talks already. They're a team that, uh, you know, two years ago made the conference finals last year, got knocked out in the first round of the playoffs and they know they need to make changes. And there's been a lot of talk around John Collins, the, the power forward for the Hawks, used to play at Wake Forest, that the Hawks are, are trying to make a move to, to move him out and bring in another piece that can be a big-time scorer next to Trey Young. I've heard some rumors you know, about um, DeJute Murray on San Antonio. There's some other guys that, that have been talked about as potential trade partners for the Hawks. That's going to remake this roster. And, and when it does, you know, it'll be interesting to see where all of that ends up in terms of what happens with AJ Griffin. The other thing I'd say about AJ is people forget he's one of the youngest guys in this draft. He was a young freshman at Duke and, and, and he was, you know, coming off of injury and then got injured during preseason training. He was behind his whole year with Duke. I, I don't think we ever began to see the full player that AJ Griffin could become. And I don't know that we will see it his rookie year. But I bet at some point over the next couple of seasons, we're going to see an A.J. Griffin that takes the ball to the hole more than he did at Duke. A guy who is, you know, more connected on defense. There were times on defense where you could tell A.J. was drifting a little and was unsure. You're going to find a guy who's much more connected on defense in the NBA. I think it's a great pick for the Hawks. And, and I, I love, you know, I talk about the redraft in two, three years. A.J. is another guy that I think you're going to look at the draft and go, how did he fall to number 16? 
I think a, in a way, a similar story to Paulo Bancaro and Mark Williams, where there are obviously NBA ready skills and, and for AJ, uh, of course that's the shooting, but the, the defense when he's locked in, um, his ability to, to handle the ball in a, in an off guard, not as a point guard, but as, as one of the, one of the other wings on the team is, is pretty advanced. I agree with you that, that the, the development areas are clear and he, you know, he has some work to do, but just like with those other guys we talked about, there's no reason why the athleticism, the smarts, the pedigree aren't all working in, in AJ Griffin's favor. And, and as you said, working with Trey young, uh, has to be a good thing for a wing who's good at knocking down the open shots, who's good at playing off the ball because because all the all the attention goes to him. All right, Jason, I want to take a quick break. When we come back, we are going to finish talking about the Doogies in the draft. Of course, that's Wendell Moore Jr. and Trevor Keels. And then we need to finish up just very quickly talking about the outfits. So stick around. All right, we are going to wrap up our discussion of Doogies in the NBA draft. We've already heard from Donald uh, his his full analysis on on the picks. So now we need to get to Wendell Moore Jr. If we were surprised that a few of the guys in the middle of the draft fell, I think we were happy. Uh, maybe overall about about where Wendell Moore ends up here. This is a player who I think you could have thought, yeah, maybe he goes in the twenties, but you also could see NBA teams deciding that you know, they're, they're sort of less that is uh, NBA ready, less of a way for Wendell Moore to plug in. And maybe he falls into the second round. The Minnesota Timberwolves decided that it was worth taking the chance on him. So Dukes junior uh, and former captain from this season goes in, in the 26th pick to Minnesota. So Jason, what do you think about Wendell Moore's selection uh, at 26? I'm thrilled for Wendell that he gets to be a first round draft pick. Uh, it, it's a great, it's a great spot for him, not because I think he's going to, you know, be slotted in as someone who's going to play major minutes in Minnesota, but because I think that there is an opportunity for him to, to have an impact on that, on that team. Cause they really need defensive help, uh, especially on the wing. Now they've got uh, Minnesota has their, their starters, their wing starters are Anthony Edwards and D'Angelo Russell. And I don't think there's anybody who projects Wendell Moore to, take minutes away from either of those guys, but the guys backing those two guys up are not exactly world beaters. And, and I think, you know, in some time, maybe not from day one, but in some time, Wendell's going to going to find some minutes as a nice rotation piece for this Minnesota team. Wendell just does too many things well for him not to find a role in the NBA. And uh, you know, I, I, obviously he's, he's going to be asked to shoot, and he's going to be asked to play defense. And I think he can do both of those things. And, uh, you know, like I said, Minnesota really needs some defensive help on the wing. And it's not a great franchise to be going to. This is a, one of the franchises that has struggled. You know, there, there's, there's not much history of Minnesota doing well in the NBA. But, but I like it for Wendell. And 26th pick, this is right around where a lot of folks thought he could go. For him to get there is, is a tip of the cap to a guy who developed so much and I said this on the podcast, but I just want to say it again. Anytime you can draft a guy who improved year after year after year, 
a guy who improved in college and showed that he is someone who can take coaching and, and apply it to his game. That's a good pick. And Wendell is the embodiment of that. When you look at the player that was on the floor for Duke as a freshman and the one who was on the floor for Duke as a junior, they are night and day different. And I think Wendell will continue to evolve his game and turn into a nice rotation piece in the NBA, if not an NBA starter. And look at 26, as you pointed out, it's not like teams are drafting guys because they think that they're slotting them in as starters. The, the great thing about Wendell Moore going in a, in a spot like this is that he can plug in in a lot of different ways. So, you know, if, if Minnesota is looking for defense on a particular night, Wendell Moore can, can come in and, and sub and, and play some tough defense, especially on guys in the perimeter. But he can also take, you know, smaller players into the lane and, and is a pretty effective defender there as well. He can offer you a little bit of shooting. It's, it's streakier, of course, than, than A.J. Griffin is. Um, and, and he comes with, with sort of that ready-made leadership package, despite being relatively young uh, for, his, for his class. He's been sort of entrusted with the, with the captaincy at, at Duke and, and led that team to a Final Four. So there are, a lot of, uh, there are a lot of intangibles that come with drafting a guy like Wendell Moore in addition to, uh, to the defense and, and the shooting. And it's worth noting that by being a first-round draft pick, Wendell gets that guaranteed contract. He will be signed for somewhere around $1.9 million in his first year, probably close to $2 million, a little more than $2 million in his second and third years. So you're looking at about, uh, you know, about $6 million over his first three years in the league. And then his team will have you know, an option to pick up potentially uh, on, on his future. And, and that option would be at probably you know, in the neighborhood of $3 million or so. That's just life-changing money for Wendell Moore. And, and, and he would have gotten great money as a second rounder, but being a first rounder and getting that guaranteed contract is uh, it, it's a step up from being a second rounder. And so I'm, I'm thrilled that he got it. All right. So I guess then we can talk about the last draft pick that Duke had off the board last night, which was Trevor Keels, the guy who we weren't sure was going to stay in the draft. Lots of will he or won't he before he ultimately decided uh, not sure exactly how close to the deadline, but he did decide to stay in the draft. Trevor Keels uh, is the only player from Duke who falls into the second round. He's going to be uh, going to the Knicks. I think, I think now I've not written down, but it was at the four, I think it was at the 42nd um, pick to the Knicks. So Trevor Keels is off the board um, headed to New York where he is going to join a couple other Duke players. Of course, RJ Barrett and Cam Reddish are already there. So uh, lots of Duke guys meeting up with Duke guys this uh, this offseason in in their new homes. Jason, I think the conversation around Trevor Keels before he ultimately decided to leave is that he might slip a little bit in this draft. 42 is not a place where, even though you don't get the guaranteed money, it's not a place where teams are thinking like they're just drafting, you know, guys that they're indefinitely going to stash in the G League. So what do you think about Trevor Keels' ability to stick with the Knicks next season. I mean, one thing working in his favor is that the Knicks didn't have any other, the Knicks had a first round draft pick that they traded. They traded to Oklahoma city and, and they got future first rounders and stuff like that in exchange for that pick. So Trevor Keels is, he's not going to be the only rookie. The Knicks will bring in some undrafted free agent, but he will be the most highly touted, so to speak, rookie on the Knicks roster, unless the Knicks make a, a surprising deal at some point in the next few weeks. And so that's a good spot for a player. You, you are essentially the, the thing that the team has invested the most in among rookies for this coming season. 
that said, 42, you're right around the spot where, you know, I think he'll probably get um, at least a two-year guaranteed contract from the Knicks, um, probably in the range of, you know, around 900000 for the first year, like $1.2, 1. $1. $1.3 for the second year. So a little more than $2 million over those two years. But there's also a scenario where maybe he doesn't. I mean, 42, this is right around the level where teams sometimes say, nah, we're just going to sign you to a two-way contract. We're not going to, you know, we're not necessarily going to give you a, a full guaranteed deal. And, and it'll be interesting to see what the Knicks end up doing with Trevor Keels. He, he comes to a roster. I mean, Trevor Keels is obviously a wing and he comes to a roster that has a lot of wings. I mean, this team is to, to some extent being built around RJ Barrett on the wing. They've got Evan Fournier. They've got Emmanuel quickly. They've got Quentin Grimes. Uh, they, they've just got a, a lot of guys who already, you know, figure to get minutes on the wing. And, and I'm not sure how much room there's going to be for Trevor Keels. I, I suspect he'll spend a, a fair portion of his rookie season in the G league. Uh, unless, you know, things work out for him better than expected on, on the Knicks. I don't want to get into the debate too much, but he's right on the cusp of the point where you would have said, Oh, maybe this guy made a mistake and he should have come back to school. I think 42, he, you know, if he'd gone outside of 45, then, then I'd be saying, Oh man, going back to school probably would have been the smarter move at 42. You know, it's, it's up for debate. It's up for discussion. I, I it's a tough call on Trevor Keels because we don't know what he would have done if he'd come back to Duke. He, he's at least going to get some money from the NBA out of this for sure. And, and, and that's a, a great thing because man, that money is, it, it's a lot. Even, even if it's a two-way deal, it's a lot of money. It's more money than I make more money than you make. <laughs> so Jason, you don't know what I make. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> those two, those two way deals are, 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 are north of 500,000 at this point, Sam, you ain't making half a mil. I think Trevor Keels is going to be making more than me this year, but you never know. <laughs> uh, but in any event, I, I, I think uh, again, the, the good thing for him is the Knicks don't bring in a lot of other young talent. If he, you know, if he'd gone to someone like Oklahoma city, You'd be like, oh man, how does he, how does he stand out on a roster full of young guys? But so so he'll he'll have chances there. And and you know one of the interesting things is it's not certain what the Knicks are going to do with Cam Reddish. They've got an option on Cam. You said you know oh they go to the same place. They they they're kind of they may be competing for minutes and maybe competing for a, a shot a, a chance on that roster. Uh, it's not a sure thing that either of those guys are actually on the Knicks um, on their opening day roster. Yeah, I, I, I still feel like even at, at this spot and going to the Knicks, which is a, for, for some guys, can be more of a curse than a blessing. I still think Trevor Keels probably made a good decision here. You don't know when you come back next year about injuries, about playing time, about all the, all the factors that might not vault you into the first round. And unlike the guys who were surefire first round picks for Duke, I think heading into this draft, it's not like Trevor Keels was ready for the NBA in any particular aspect. He's, he's athletic enough. He's tough enough. He's, he's a good enough driver. He's a good enough defender. Um, he's, he's good playing off the ball, but it's not like he's overwhelming anybody with, with some NBA skill. And, and on the team this year, the, the one that Duke is bringing in with all these talented freshmen, you don't know how Trevor Keels is going to stack up against them. I mean, all the conversation about how amazing Lively and Whitehead and and Kyle Filipowski are going to be. It's possible that Keels 
gets, you know, as much spotlight as he got this past season, which was a good amount, but was not enough to, to sort of put him in the conversation to be like a, a mid round, mid first round type of pick. So I don't know how much you could have banked on, on him improving from this, even though, you know, it, it, you obviously prefer to be a first round pick over a second round pick. By the way, I need to correct something really quick. Uh, I thought that I thought that no decision had been made on Cam Reddish's option. I'm wrong. The uh, I believe actually the Atlanta Hawks exercised the option on Cam Reddish's contract. And so when they traded him to the Knicks, he was already locked in. So Cam Reddish will be, uh, his option has already been picked up by the, by the Knicks for next year. So he will be on the roster. But again, I think he and Trevor Keels are going to be somewhat battling for, for minutes, sort of deep um, wing minutes on the next next year and cam reddish because he's older and, and more experienced probably has a pretty significant leg up there on trevor all right so let's get to the final topic the one that i know donald thinks is most important and which i value as well i'm going to let donald kick off the discussion of the outfits last night so donald is is back here this is his recording from yesterday take it away sir all right guys i know you're talking outfits and you know i had to get my thoughts in on a couple of the outfits now I have to start with Chet Holmgren because a couple of days ago, they asked him, ESPN asked him, hey, who's had the best fit in NBA draft history? And Chet Holmgren goes, me, a couple of days from now. He predicted he was going to have the best outfit at the draft, one of the best outfits of all time. And while it was cool, I didn't. Th- I think he fell short of that mark. I think the honor of best outfit of the night stays with the number one pick, our boy, Paulo Bancaro. And some of you probably didn't know what that outfit was, a purple suit with a lot of diamonds on it. It was the purple rain outfit. Like, how perfect is that? The man had diamonds for raindrops on his suit. That's an automatic win for me, hands down. And it looked great. And and honestly, he was the one that you're going to remember, not just because he was the first pick, but because his outfit was on point. I will shout out Mark Williams. Mark Williams had a simple yet elegant Duke blue suit. I loved that. It was just very clean, just crisp. And that Duke blue popped. It was awesome. Like you could see the fact, despite the fact he's seven foot one, you could see his outfit whenever they did a pano of the quote unquote green room, uh, which is the floor in front of the uh, front of the stage at the draft. You could always see where Mark Williams was. He was great. And also shout out Elizabeth Williams. I liked her dress with the, uh, with the green outfit. I liked that as well. AJ Griffin. Cool. But you know, very simple, a nice black joint on there. Like I like that. So, other guys that I thought had different uh, outfits that were dope, Benedict Mathurin and Dyson Daniels. I think those two, uh, outside of our Duke guys, I think were the class of the outfit category. There's one guy in the second round who had a nice uh, outfit that was similar to Dyson Daniels, but I thought Dyson held his own really well. But again, Paulo Bancaro, you, like, look, I'm a Prince fan. Purple Rain is going to win every time, baby. That's what it is. Jason, my big takeaway from last night, or at least maybe this is my question rather than a takeaway. My question is, when did huge shiny necklaces come back? Wow. Because I, I was not, I, I'm, I've, I don't know. Uh, yeah, by the way, did people... you see what Paulo's was? Paulo's, it said P5. You know, that's yeah, like P5. P5. That thing was massive. Yeah, was I, I thought for a second when I first saw it that it was the NBA 75. I did too. Logo. Yeah. And I was like, damn, Paulo's really going for it, huh? He's he's trying to he's trying to 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 tell the people that that he's one of the the top 75, which of course the NBA put out their 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 top 75 at 75 
list this season. I thought that was bold, but no, then I, I also realized it was his, it was his P five logo, which I do like, but the, his wasn't even necessarily the, the most outrageous necklace that we saw. There was a lot, there were a lot of cool necklaces, a lot of big necklaces. So I guess that stuff is, is back in a, in a way that I just completely missed. So I might have to go out and get myself a big necklace. I, I, by the way, I want to shout out to Donald. I had not put together the whole purple rain aspect of Paulo's outfit. You had told us in our group chat that you were, you were going to be uh, uh, taking Paulo to task for wearing a silly outfit. And here we go. Yeah. I, I, I well, but but now, I, now that Donald explained to me that those little dangling baubles, the, the diamond, you know, rhinestones that were on that, that that was purple rain. I'm like, oh, damn. Now I love it. I hated that outfit at first. I was like, that is one of the ugliest things I've ever seen. And, and believe me, ugly at the NBA draft is not a new phenomenon. <laughs> I thought it was just bizarre. But now that Donald explained, I... I I adore the purple rain aspect of it. And, and suddenly I've, I've done a complete 180 on Paulo's outfit. The other outfits that were, were worth mention. Sam, did you see what Tari Eason out of LSU was wearing? Shamrock green, not just green. I mean, like it was a, that, that was an explosive green. Shamrock green. I, I, I really don't know about that choice. Um, I agree with Donald, by the way. I loved AJ, AJ Griffin's outfit you know, a really deep blue with black lapels. I thought that popped. He looked really classy. Um, and I, I don't know if anybody can pull off a purple Paisley tuxedo, but uh, Benedict uh, Mathurian of, of Arizona certainly tried. And I thought he looked pretty sharp. I would not wear that myself. <laughs> but uh, the NBA draft is one place where you can try and try and wear that. And lastly, uh, I also agree with Donald. I, I, I had a note that um, Mark Williams's blue tuxedo was simple but elegant, and and he looked really sharp. Uh, I have a question going back to the to the to the bling to the to the ice. Is Chet Holmgren was he wearing dice as his necklace? He was. He was wearing dice. They talked about uh, it, it was a three and a four. Like he he's he's rolling he's rolling craps uh, with his dice. Uh, I, I, Is that you know, was was this in reference to him losing to Duke in Las Vegas? Was that, <laughs> was that no, a, you know, I, I feel terrible. They were talking about it and I, I'm sure there was some reason behind why he wore dice with a 34, but I didn't hear it. I was paying attention to multiple different things at that moment. I think I was probably still uh, a little bit uh, in shock at Paulo's outfit. So <laughs> the, uh, yeah, you, you mentioned Benedict Maturin uh, who had the, the incredible red suit. I mean, just the, I'm, I'm scrolling back through them all now to, to remember this, but um some of these guys, at least that, you know what, here's what I'll say about the, about the fits at the NBA draft. If we go back like 15 years or so, and you look at today, at least the clothes fit them now. Cause yeah. once upon a time, the clothes just didn't fit. And, uh, a lot of and now they do the, yeah. the, the colors are outrageous. And I'm, I don't know if I've shared this with you before that I'm, that I'm partially colorblind. So I don't necessarily fully appreciate all the, all the matching that's going on. But, uh, but I love that guys are going for it. And, uh, and it's good to know that necklaces are back. So I think with that, we're going to leave it. We, we've gotten a few listener emails that I think uh, we're going to tackle over the next few weeks. Keep sending them to us, though, dbrpodcast at gmail.com. We love hearing from you. It's been, it, it feels, still feels like there's been a steady stream of, of email coming in. So, so we really appreciate that. 
hopefully all three of us will be back together at some point because I feel like we keep we keep missing each other and keep doing these these shows in twos instead of threes. So we'll get back on a on a good schedule for all of you. But until then, dbrpodcast at gmail.com for Jason Evans, who's here, for Donald Wine, who's somewhere else, but who you did get to hear from for a couple minutes today. I am Sam Klein. This has been episode 430 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. Congratulations to all five Duke guys who are headed to the NBA. We will talk to you again soon. Duke Band, take us home. Thank you.